Hello and welcome to this edition of Deeper. It's so good to have you with us today. And uh, we're thinking about the passage that uh, we looked at yesterday, that Beck preached on, and it was the start of a new sermon series. So, Beck, why don't you tell everyone what it was you preached on? What's the sermon series about? Okay, so over the summer, we're thinking a little bit about uh, what it means for church to be family and some of the characteristics that we'd love to see in, in the way that we live out our lives together. So that um, linking in with what we've been thinking about mission so that we can create an atmosphere that helps us grow, but also is really hospitable for people coming in to grow and really put down healthy roots. So yesterday we kicked off thinking about being a family of fellowship uh, and what it means to live our lives alongside each other. Um, and we looked at Acts chapter 10 and particularly we were looking at uh, verse 25 to 38. But really you need to read the whole of Acts chapter 10 to yeah, get the okay. context um, that we were talking about which was really this sort of change that happens in the early church um, around the inclusion and, and full participation of Gentiles in the life of the church. And so her three points were, because I can remember them, uh, it was an uh, inclusive church, an um, exploring church, and a vibrant church. Yes. There you go. Very so, good. It must be good if I remembered them because I can't even remember my own sermons. So, <laughs> uh, so why don't you read uh, Acts 10, 25 to 38, or if you want to, read the whole of chapter 10 of Acts. That would be uh, great. So press pause, read the passage, and then restart the video. Okay, so why don't we start off? We're going to break it into four chunks. We're going to look at 25 and 26 first. Um, why don't you start, Beck? What do you see here? Okay, so, um, so Peter's come to the house at the invitation of Cornelius, and Cornelius responds in a very reverent, respectful kind of way. Um, that's partly to do with Peter's key role, obviously, in the, in the early church, but, but also in sort of recognition of his um, relationship with Jesus, of um, him as a Jew in this, this sect that is really all about Jews who've converted to following Jesus um, and Peter's response is really brilliant isn't it and all through the New Testament we see this happening with the disciples where you know people want to pay them great respect but they want all the glory to go to God and so Peter says to him get up come on we're just I'm just a man too yeah and you know what what could be happening as well is that um Cornelius is seeing Peter as some kind of divine messenger, you know, an angel basically. Uh, and the, the Greek word, it's kind of reverence, uh, the Greek word can also actually mean worship. Because uh, actually the word to come forward to kiss, which actually is all about worship. Uh, and it's one of the words that's used for worship in the New Testament. Um, so either he's falling down in reverence or he's falling down in worship. And Peter, I think Peter takes it as the latter. Mm -hmm. That's why he says, you know, get up because I'm just a man. Um, and, you know, in that sense, we are all kind of messengers and divine messengers, but not in any special sense like Cornelius thought. 
And, and so Peter's response there is it's really important in the context of what we're thinking about in terms of fellowship and, and creating a um, community where everybody's treated equally and, and loved and accepted is uh, his response sort of puts them more on an equal footing and mm. allows them to sort of enter the house as equals. And because that's what God's doing in this passage, um, I think that's really important to note yeah. that Peter's responding to what the Holy Spirit is, is at work doing between the two of them and in the people who they're with. Yeah, and yeah, there's a, the phrase right at the beginning, I think, is, is quite important. It says, as Peter entered the house. Now, Cornelius is a Gentile, Jews were not allowed to go into Gentile houses uh, for fear of being uh, made ritually impure. Uh, and yet he, he does that. And he's, in that way, he's kind of honouring Cornelius. Um, and in one of the commentaries I read, uh, John Stott uh, came up with this incredible quote. He says, uh, Peter refused both to be treated by Cornelius as if he were a god and to treat Cornelius as if he were a dog which is the kind of the way in which uh, some Jews certainly treated Gentiles as kind of, you know, uh, outside of God's grace and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's just a lovely quote of what's going on here, that, that, the dynamic of this relationship. Um, and it is a, a more equal relationship than perhaps previously either of them could have imagined. And, and it's really in step with, so if you read the whole of Acts 10, you'll see that, that the Holy Spirit's been really at work in preparing both of them for mm. this encounter. Um, and you can really see that in the way that they greet each other, in the way that they start off interacting with each other, that they're responding to, to the leading of the Holy Spirit in creating this new thing that's going to um, be part of the, the church growing and moving forward. Yeah, and I love the way in which uh, there's an element of faith here on Cornelius' part because he sent some guys to go and get Peter uh, and then waited. And in fact, as you'll read later on and read or before this, uh, he invited his friends and family to, to come and wait as well. Uh, he didn't know Peter would come. He just expected Peter to come because, well, in some way God had spoken. And it's not like the guys that Cornelius sent could kind of call him on the mobile and say, yeah, we're on our way now. We'll be two days. It's because they didn't happen, did they? So he waits in faith for Peter to turn up. And I think that is a, a huge statement of what he believed God was doing at this time. And, and he's invited all his friends around to wait too. Yeah, like yeah. he's really believing that, that God's going to do something and that yeah. Peter's going to come, isn't he? So let's move on to the next section, which we'll look at 27 to 29. Um, and so this is uh, just the next step. So again, you go first. Okay, so they go into the house. There's this large gathering of people that Cornelius has invited. Um, and Peter sort of starts off by, by pointing out this um, this issue that, mm -hmm. that for him as a Jew, he shouldn't normally be there. He shouldn't be um, being entertained in a Gentile house, but that he's interpreting this vision that God's given him of the sheep with all the unclean animals and being told not to call things unclean. Um, He's, he's interpreting that to be something wider that God's yeah. doing, this, yeah. this reinterpretation of the law. It's a really key turning point in 
how they're going to interact with each other as church. Um, because mostly people, Gentiles who wanted to um, follow Jesus would have to convert to Judaism and be circumcised and all of these things sort of unfold in the life of the church as they work out, well, what do we do to go forward? Mm. How, how do we include everybody in this grace that we've been shown? Absolutely. I think, you know, um, there's, there's, a, there's a number of things here that are going on that uh, we need to try and get inside Peter's head here a little bit, I think. Because Peter's been told all his life, you don't connect with Gentiles. You never go in their house. And yet, you know, in the same way that Cornelia had an act of faith and waiting, I, Peter, as an act of faith, steps into the house and goes against a whole lifetime of teaching, indoctrination. Uh, and he does it because God said and there's no kind of question here for either of them, for Peter or Cornelius. They believed truly that God had said something significant. And, um, and again, this is another quote uh, that I came across, that you know, this was not just simply about the conversion of Cornelius. This is about the conversion of Peter too, about his ongoing salvation and understanding of God's purposes, but also his conversion towards the world and understanding that God wants the whole world to know the salvation of Jesus. And so Luke, who, who wrote Acts, um, really spends some time on mm. this idea. That, so this episode sort of takes place, <coughs> excuse me, over um, two chapters yeah. of, of Acts. Um, and, and it comes up over and over again as, as Luke sort of trying to point out that God is acting in all of these circumstances to, to bring people together and to create a church that um, that extends grace to everybody um, and so we see that mm. he, he's really wanting to draw out there's a messenger from God that God gives this vision that God leads them by the Holy Spirit together it's God at work here doing this thing it's not just Peter's decided to yes. reinterpret things because it works better now but that God is doing something really significant I think you said uh, on Sunday you know that um that you know, without this moment, we might not have been there in church on Sunday because this is all about the expansion of the gospel beyond Judaism and, and Jewish people into the world. And that's, that's a key moment. So let's move on to the next section. We'll start go from 30 to uh, 33. Um, and so this is uh, Cornelius explaining what happened to him and how uh, a, an angel suddenly suddenly appeared to him. And what we know here, if you read at the beginning of Acts 10, uh, is Cornelius is devout. He's a God-fearing Gentile. So he's probably in some way connected to the local synagogue. Uh, he doesn't seem to have fully converted, but he's clearly searching for, for who God is. And something about the Jewish faith has attracted him. Um, and we know and we see from this passage and others around this idea of Jews and Gentiles that um, Cornelius, just like everybody else, is completely saved by grace and um, through faith. And it's not to do with those works of, of giving to the poor or praying, but, but in being available to God in those things, he sort of makes himself, he moves himself into position to be able to be used by God in this way doesn't he and it I does. think that's really exciting that sometimes when we position ourselves in prayer what you know what do we think Cornelius is praying about presumably mm. he's praying God you know I want to be able to serve you I want to be part of your coming kingdom and then God uses him to make this massive change in the it church is. 
And yeah, it, it would be interesting to know what he was praying because you know one thing the angel does say is that God has heard your prayer. You know, what was he praying? Was he praying that he'd have some kind of angelic visitation? Was he praying that he would hear something about this Jesus who, uh, as we will see in a moment, he clearly knew something about? Uh, what was he praying? We'll never know until we get to heaven and you can have a chat with him then. But uh, God responds to his prayer and uh, that's, what, that's what sparked this whole thing. Um, and I love how specific the vision is. I know. You know it is like, you know, uh, sent to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. I mean, that's quite a specific word, isn't it? I, I mean, love if you were that. sending a letter to Ireland, that would get there, wouldn't it? That would. Yeah, it would. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a very specific message. And, and that must have given faith to Cornelius. Um, and, of course, he sends off his messages and Simon, uh, Peter's there. Uh, anything else you want to throw into this section? Just the, again, this Luke wanting to highlight that God's directed them to each other. Like God has mm. literally given uh, Cornelius the address to where to find Peter. Um, that God is at work in all of this yeah. situation that's unfolding. Yeah. And and this um, introduction from Cornelius sort of preps for what Peter's about to say um, in preparing everybody else to hear. This is going to be a word from God, like God, God's called this guy here to speak to us today and what he's going to say is important. Mm -hmm. It's a great introduction. It is. I mean, just two things at the end that I noticed as well is that uh, you know, Cornelius sent for Peter immediately. He didn't hesitate. He didn't check what he should do. He just responded immediately. And then what he says to uh, Peter is, uh, we're all here in the presence of God. He recognizes God's in the midst. At the, and as you'll see later <coughs> in chapter 10, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit falls on him in power. Uh, but then he has no agenda. He says, just tell us what God has told you to say. He's kind of come into the presence of God. He's got no agenda. And I, I think there's kind of, there's something for us all to learn, there's no because we often come into the presence of God with an agenda. We have things in our heart and on our mind. Uh, Cornelius doesn't. So let's go on to the last section, uh, which is Peter talking. Uh, why don't you go first? So, um, so first of all, we've got a translation thing here. Um, so it, in lots of translations, this reads when Peter began to speak. Um, but the Greek here actually would be, um, and having opened his mouth, and there's this real sense of like weightiness to that mm -hmm. introduction to what Peter's about to say, um, that there's something really important here. And then Peter sort of goes on to explain the gospel to them that, um, that the things that they've heard, he, do, he does this thing that we've been talking about, about filling in the gaps for yes, them. He sort yeah. of gives them the whole story in, in this speech that follows. And you know, one of the things that comes out right at the beginning is, you know, <coughs> God does not have favorites. You know, this is the whole kind of message that's coming out of this particular section is that, you know, what, what the Jews have thought was impure, which were Gentiles, God's saying, look, you know, there are no favorites. There are no uh, favorite races or nationalities. Uh, they are, you, everyone is accepted. And this is not um, a kind of new thing in the, um, in the Bible. Jews knew it because in Deuteronomy 10, God says that I have no favorites. Uh, and yet it was lost to many Jews. That idea that they had become the special people had taken hold quite considerably. Uh, and so everyone else was not special. 
And so here, God is rebalancing their thinking. It was there in Scripture all the time, and now he's having to say again, look, you know, I don't have favourites. You are all my creation. And, and it, it sort of re-centres the very mm. purpose of God's chosen people who are blessed to be a blessing. The, the idea is that they're chosen, but they're chosen to demonstrate the goodness of God in the world, not, yeah. not just to soak it all up for themselves. And that's true of us as the church as well, isn't it? it that is. sometimes we, we feel like, well, we're the people who God's called to himself as his church, but we're chosen to demonstrate what the love of God looks like in action in a community in just the same way as Israel was chosen. And then what we see is that um, as Peter talks to Cornelius, he talks to him as if he has already heard about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, so maybe that's part of the prayer that Cornelius was praying, you know, that he wanted to know more about Jesus. Um, and so Cornelius has heard, probably it was the talk of every synagogue around in the area, that you know, someone from Nazareth had claimed to be the Messiah uh, and Cornelius wants to know more. Anything else you want to say before we finish on this section? Um, just this thing of, of the not being favourites, that, that um, Peter's kind of, again, moving with the Holy Spirit here into this new chapter for the church of saying, um, there's a purpose for all of us here, that, that God is doing this mm. new old thing. He's recentering things so that the whole world can experience Um, relationship with him. So let's move on to uh, what does this mean to us today and go a little bit wider. Okay so what does all this mean for us today? Uh, This kind of really strange interaction between Peter and Cornelius and angels and all that kind of stuff. What do we learn? So uh, Beck's going to start by sharing what she thinks she's learned and then I'll share the things I think I've learned. Okay, so um, I think there's something really important about Cornelius being prayerfully available and expectant that God is going to move to include him, to allow him to be part of um, the church. And so I wonder how are we making ourselves prayerfully available and are we expectant that God will move and do things and change things uh, in our midst? And then... um, Peter has this vision and um, and he adds some interpretation to this vision, doesn't he? Because the vision is about food, but uh, Peter sort of adds a layer to that and, and takes that to mean that God's speaking about these people as well um, with the two instances coming together. Um, so I, I wonder who might God be speaking to us about including and, and who do we maybe... Uh, feel inclined to exclude or feel uh, there are rules against um, and how do we open ourselves up to God speaking and changing us Um, and then we've got this very gracious interaction between Cornelius and Peter and as we said you know Cornelius greets him with great reverence and Peter says get up I'm only a man you know let's enter this house as equals Um, and they treat each other with real honour I wonder, do we do that when people come into our community? Do we um, treat people with real honour and Mm. honour their perspectives and listen carefully to what they want to say? Um, Or do we sort of tend to feel that we've got something great to offer and not 
necessarily be open to listening um, and having equality in conversation. And we talked when we were talking about telling your story about how important it is that that be- remains an equal conversation and not a us giving something to somebody yeah. without being open to receive from them. Um, and then I think for me, the, the really key thing here is that that as Peter starts to speak, he centers this whole new relationship, this whole new chapter, this thing that he senses God's doing around the gospel and around Jesus as Lord. And that is what the church is really all about, isn't it? That, that we're a diverse community of people, but we're gathered around the gospel and around Jesus. And that's what holds together our diversity. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So the things that uh, spoke to me out of this, uh, first one was picking up on what Beck said around, you know, God has no favourites and neither should we. Um, you know, we, we often want to hang around with people like us. Uh, you might come to church and want to connect with those who are your friends, uh, all those kind of things. And yet, you know, we should try and be as inclusive as possible of those who are coming to worship or those who are uh, here to serve in some way. Uh, and so we need to think about how we're treating people who are different to us. Uh, and I think that's quite a big issue at the moment in our society. Uh, I think social media has made it really easy for us to, to comment negatively on people who are different. And so we need to counter that by being incredibly gracious and including those who are not like us. Uh, the next thing that struck me was uh, just the simple obedience of Cornelius and Peter. You know, they both have this incredible vision, but they both respond very quickly. Um, and I think that's something that we could all reflect on, isn't it? That you know, when God speaks to us, how do we follow? Uh, and then the final thing is uh, just being open to God doing strange things. I mean, this was, this was weird, wasn't it? You know, two, two people having different kinds of experience in which God turns up in some way, and yet those two strange experiences bind them together and starts a whole movement of the Holy Spirit amongst the Gentiles. Uh, we all need to be open to that and to be aware that God may speak or do anything at any time. So let's think about uh, questions for you to look at in your mission communities. So here's some questions for you to consider in your missional communities or on your own. Uh, And uh, the first one is this. Uh, Who might God be calling you to include within the church family or within your family life in some way? Okay, so um, I spoke a bit yesterday about how church should be the most diverse community that you're a part of, that that we should look around and see every age and stage and background. So um, how inclusive and diverse do you think our community is and how are we making space for people who maybe aren't just like us? Third question is, can people uh, who you are connected to within church uh, openly question and explore what they believe and who they are? And then um, we spoke about how um, Peter starts with Jesus when he stands up to speak to these people. When when this new relationship, this new era of the church is starting, Peter starts with Jesus. Um, I wonder how can we follow that example as we bring people into community and as we gather together, um, and maybe as we welcome people in who are quite different to us or do have questions and want to challenge and ask things. How do we start with? the love of Jesus with the gospel and and go from there. Great.
So do please take time to reflect on those questions. Uh, that brings our time together to an end. And next week, uh, we'll be thinking about how church should be a fellowship of grace. And uh, I'll be following up on my sermon on Sunday. So do please join us for that. Uh, until then, stay safe and goodbye. <laughs>